What's up, everybody? You're listening to Neurodivergently Coaching, where neurodivergence meets coaching. Meets life and the world of work. I'm Terry. I'm Deborah. We're your co-hosts. We are two coaches with diverse identities who are joining forces to share our experiences within and about neurodivergence and coaching. So get ready to explore, learn, and grow with us. Neurodivergently Coaching starts now. (laughs) Hey, listeners, we're back. And last episode, we spent some time digging in and digging up the philosophies of the very bedrock of coaching. And the misconceptions around coaching, therapy, and how we support our neurodivergent clients. For this episode, buckle up. Today, we're having a conversation about what is common and what is different between us as neurodivergent people and how that shows up for us in neurodivergently coaching. As we know, we are used to this is where Deborah is going to break it on down. So go ahead, Deb. (laughs) Take it away with your facts, definitions, and rabbit holes. (laughs) Here we go. Buckle up. Uh, So here's what it is. What do we mean by no single normal? And I want to start by pulling a few strings forward from our previous episodes. So recall that neurodiversity is actually a social movement that describes that no two human brains are actually alike. And that neurodivergence is a subset within human brain functioning. We may be born with a different kind of brain functioning, or we may have an acquired difference through post-traumatic stress disorder, a traumatic brain injury, for example, a concussion. Depending on really where you look it up, neurodivergence would include acquired brain injuries. The language again is evolving and it's highly personal. It matters most to the person in front of you, especially in coaching. As an example, uh, some of us might use the terminology autism level one, Others might still use a term Asperger's, and then others still might refer to themselves as Aspies. Uh, Even uh, you may find a difference with ADHD. Uh, Some folks may have some time ago been diagnosed with (laughs) the same condition under the diagnosis ADD. So every human, especially in coaching, is one human. There are also socio-political and economic issues that relate to recognition, diagnosis, treatment, workplace adjustments for folks who are neurodivergent. Particularly, I want to mention that recognition in adults and specifically female adults later in life is um, something that is just coming into our awareness so much so that uh, folks like myself who are diagnosed um, much later in life 
have been called a lost generation. And of course, no dialogue in this realm, certainly on this podcast, is complete until intersectionality and real lived experience is considered. So the saying, if you know one person with autism, you know only one person with autism, is at the heart of our topic today, no single normal. Yes, we say this all the time. And I'm going to speak for the ADHDers. If you know one person with ADHD, you know one person with ADHD, which means there is only commonalities, never the exact same. Yeah, and that brings us to the idea of practical application. Like, what does this mean on a practical level? For me, as a late diagnosed member of the neurodivergent community, eventually I was looking for a grand theory of my existence or a grand unifying theory uh, for all the things that were strong about me and all the things that were not. And so my interpretation of no single normal is even um, colored, I wanna say, by the fact that I may have identified more closely with members of the neurodivergent community, alternately folks who were autistic and folks who were ADHD. And I looked at myself now as a hybrid of some sort. It took me quite some time to figure out that I was part of both communities. And I eventually recognized that my experience of life was quite different from other people's experiences. And that identifying with some experiences of others does not mean that I really know their experience. So how do you feel about your experience in the context of other ADHD experiences, Terry? Well, my experience, <sighs> My perspective on commonalities and differences within the neurodivergent world, I think is, this is where we kind of go down my rabbit hole <laughs> for a minute. As we have said many, many times before, <laughs> no two brains are alike, which makes us all neurodiverse. This neurodiverse word, comes from neuro comes from the word diversity for me this brings up the word neurotypical which i use to describe the difference or the opposite of the neurodivergent brain the word neurotypical was created to highlight the contrast between divergent brain types specifically to describe individuals whose neurological development and function fall within the typical range compared to those who are neurodivergent. Neurotypical is not a brain function. And the term is often used to describe the population 
who do not have conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, or other neurodevelopmental differences. The idea of normalcy is deeply rooted in societal norms that are influenced by historical, cultural, and power dynamics. Although not entirely caused by colonization, but colonialism has had a significant impact on what is considered normal or typical. This is where certain behaviors and thinking patterns are stigmatized if they deviate from colonial norms. Normalcy is complex and changes across cultures. Embracing the movement of neurodiversity requires challenging rigid definitions of normalcy which involves promoting acceptance, practicing humility, and understanding of individuals whose neurological differences from societal expectations, which fosters an inclusive coaching practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I really wanna pull us strange string forward, if I can, um, from the idea of neurotypical having some roots in colonialism. It also has roots in industrialization. So that is to say that folks who were disabled before we had factories and work outside of the home, those folks uh, were cared for within the home. So with the age of industrialization, society had to change to allow people to work outside the home. And in this way, the classification of abilities and institutionalization became part of the picture for people with disabilities. Very interesting. (laughs) Very, very interesting. You know, we we spoke last time of of the roots of our profession that I've researched Um, and an interesting sort of branch of this rabbit hole that I've recently discovered is the anthropological roots of mental health and society. And this is what I do for fun. What the the anthropological? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is how Deb's brain works, everyone. (laughs) Welcome to my brain. This is actually how I spend my leisure time. I have no hobbies. (laughs) So this is where I need to bring it on back. Let's give them some examples of how differently our neurodiverse identities show up. What do you think? I love that. Let's do it. So for me, I am very visual. I'm a visual enthusiast. And I am. Oh, <laughs> go, go, please. <laughs> You're a visual enthusiast and I'm a word nerd. And that is a little bit about how each of our brains function 
related to words and pictures. What else? Yes. Okay, well, I'm bubbly. I have a bubbly presence versus your calming presence. And, you know, I think that's a little bit about how we have each worked with our nervous systems and how we show up with our emotions. Mm. Yes, I love that. I would say that I'm a visual and energetic person. I express my emotions openly and find it challenging to stay focused. However, I can also become hyper-focused on one thing at a time, often at the expense of self-care. I make a conscious effort to prioritize self-care, however, but sometimes it falls off. While I may not be detail-orientated, I am incredibly compassionate and loyal which I think they are traits that are common among ADHD years. What about you, Deb? Well, I'm, I'm happy that you're compassionate and loyal. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, for me, sensory, my sensorial environment, it rules my life. My life is also ruled by my health and my many peculiar chronic health conditions. I have a lot of tools in my toolbox to marshal my attention, except when I experience sensory overwhelm and then my brain gets foggy. I can generally see a solution before others have even been able to see the problem. And people piss me off every day and probably the same is true that I piss people off every day because of that trait. Ethics and moral issues are interesting and prime to my life and my work. And although you may not know it, I have quite a lot of empathy. However, what happens when my empathy goes into overdrive, when I become overwhelmed with emotion, the very first thing that happens is my empathy turns off just like, just like that. And so many of these traits are either autistic or ADHD. But how they manifest in my life is more than likely very different from others in my neurodivergent communities. Hmm. I do know what Deb and I do have in common and differences is exceptionality. My exceptionality also shows up within my neurodivergent identity. I am an Emmy-nominated makeup artist. I paint and draw on 3D canvases. The most famous canvas I have painted on is the president, vice president, sorry, of the United States, Kamala Harris. My exceptionalism has led me to work with performers such as the artists formerly known as Prince, to name a few. Let me vent for just a second <laughs> when I talk about this. 
Work in the makeup and hair artistry is often viewed as only impressive. People often underestimate the intense demands on these professions. The required intelligence and skill level for success in this field are often overlooked. Society tends to narrowly define intelligence, given more importance to traditional academic and mathematical achievements over alternative forms of expertise and talent. I don't think that people ever really or they never really take a take into account the fact that they can't even do their own makeup, much less a presidential running candidate. This is me off. <laughs> you know, Terry. It's I've annoying. I have completely <laughs> given up on doing my makeup. So all the respect due to you. And I read anthropology, anthropology <laughs> for fun. <laughs> and that's your exceptionality. And we need to embrace both of them. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So that kind of brings us to, you know, our, our personal perspectives. Um, you know, listeners, you know how we do this. We keep drilling down until we get to neurodivergently coaching. So what does this mean where it comes to coach training? That's our first drill down. Um, and maybe I'll take a, a stab at that one first. So <laughs> figuratively speaking, that is. Um, <laughs> so it's admittedly difficult to, you know, I know this as a trainer, as an educator, that it is admittedly difficult to plan for all inevitabilities. And yet we do need to do a better job of considering these all differences in coach training. Um, you know, recently I went through a 40 hour or a 40 continuing education unit uh, course that was offered directly by the International Coaching Federation. Uh, it was completely asynchronous learning, which just maybe three years ago wasn't even allowed. Um, but it was 100% asynchronous learning, meaning um, I was working on my own without an instructor. And it was um, really painful for me to get through the way it was formatted. And I also know other neurodivergent folks who were who have been going through it at the same time. And uh, it's been incredibly painful for us. And you know, overall, I've done a 100 more than 100 units of continuing education, or we call them uh, in ICF world, we call them CCEUs. I've done more than 100 this year. Um, and yet I only get to count about 30 of them. But overall, I've been incredibly frustrated at the state of accessibility of these trainings. And how much I love to look at the process of coaching and the process of coach training. And what I do want to say about that is when the ice, the, so the way that it works for our listeners who are not familiar is in order for a CCEU or a continuing coach education unit to be awarded, a training organization has to apply to the ICF. 
And so the ICF does not concern itself with accessibility when it allows training providers to offer these learning opportunities. There is no uh, way to assess whether CCEUs are being offered in an accessible way. And so that's kind of where I come into the conversation from that critical disability lens, where it comes to coach training and no single normal. Where, what does that look like for you, Terry? Well, when you said in how it's been incredibly frustrating, I really feel that as well, the frustration of the state of accessibility. My position regarding coach training as an ACC coach with my intersecting identities, dyslexic and ADHD, considering whether to renew or to advance to my PCC this year, these thoughts alone stir up so much anxiety and avoidance can be the result but it is not an option. <laughs> I, I really have no other option but to move forward reluctantly with tightened muscles and added stress because of my identity. Credentialing is just not inclusive to my needs. Having dyslexia can make reading and understanding texts more challenging because of the way my brain and eyes work. Text is more challenging to decipher over pictures. Wordy questions may take, it may take longer to process and I may need to reread questions multiple times to comprehend them accurately. Both ADHD and dyslexia can affect my working memory as well, which is crucial for holding and manipulating information in my mind, <laughs> which makes it harder for me to keep track of information, especially on a long test with many questions that is timed all oh, the anxiety from the ticking time. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. This process is challenging for everyone without a neurodivergent condition. It is very traumatic for me with my condition and it comes around every two years. This year, I've done a lot of extra learning to improve my skills. I focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is really important to me. But even though it's made me a better coach, the International Coaching Federation doesn't count it as part of the main education they look for when giving credentials. So while I have learned a lot and grown as a coach, it hasn't helped me get the official recognition I was hoping for. So yeah, what yeah. does that? I don't know what? Yeah. 
what I don't know what to do. I have to just do what I have to do. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say. Uh, you're making me you're making me uptight for my renewal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It and, is this is where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm equally I'm approaching MCC and I just don't know whether or not it's going to be worth my um cycles <laughs> yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, something I'm considering as we go as you are. Uh which kind of brings us to neurodivergently coaching, right? So this is the way we do it, listeners. We start from our personal perspectives and we keep drilling down until we get to neurodivergently coaching. So for me, what does no single normal mean in terms of coaching? It's about the fact that neurodivergence is already sometimes in the room. And how do I proceed as a coach accordingly. And so there are similarities and differences in how I need to consider each individual as just that, as an individual, because there is no single normal. So some things that might commonly show up, things like masking we've talked about, executive functioning, which is depending on whose definition you go by. Again, this stuff is very emergent. Planning, organization, task initiation, memory, uh, which is actually a particular issue for me, uh, emotion, time management, burnout, and more. And yet, strengths and solutions are so very unique to each individual and their life and work circumstances that a coaching approach is really well suited to uncover these patterns, to uh, surface the client's uniqueness, and to then uh, help work towards a robust toolbox tailored to the client's strengths. Providing a safe, well-educated, non-judgmental, strengths-based approach to the relationship to the coaching relationship can be life affirming for folks who have spent so much of their lives in non life affirming spaces and non life affirming relationships. So for me at this point with a profile and client load that is so highly leaning towards neurodivergent. For me it's almost a certainty that neurodivergence is in the room or the system. And this is where my talent and my passion live in beautiful harmony. And if I'm being honest, which you know, my dear listeners, that I will be as honest with you as I can be with myself, I do sometimes feel disappointed when neurodivergence is definitely not in the room. And it kind of brings to mind a story uh, that I'd like to share with you about my doctor. Uh, I am one of the lucky ones here in Toronto who has a general practitioner, a family doctor. And uh, a number of years ago, I found out that my family doctor is actually a very highly specialized, highly trained uh, doctor, educator, and professional. So my, uh, my family doctor, in fact, is a well-known expert in the transgender community and in the teaching of transgender medicine. 
and so when I heard that, I thought, oh my goodness, not being of that community, I don't think I should be taking a spot with this family doctor. And so I had a long conversation with uh, her nurse who I've known for many years. And the thing that she said to me that always stuck with me is this, that my doctor needs to have a variety of patients from all walks of life in order to keep her skills sharp and to truly be be true to the practice of medicine, even in a highly specialized uh, environment that she generally works in. So all of this to say that although working with neurodivergent folks and in the education of neurodivergently coaching is this perfect harmony of my work, I still need to keep um, my hands in, in the generality of leadership and life coaching, which is where I work. And so you, my dear listeners, you might fall under the neurodivergent category. You may have clients in that category. If you're here, you're likely curious about that. And we at Neurodivergently Coaching, we aim to ready you to work in a neurodivergent Pre ever present world. And so we want to make sure that you feel comfortable to join our community at neurodivergentlycoaching.com. And also to let you know, as we did the last time we were together, that we have a reflective practice group coming up this spring. We have two groups, actually, one of them is full. We will be releasing details imminently. As soon as we catch up on recording our podcasts, we will be releasing uh, more information about this. It'll be called Systems We Swim In, Neurodivergence and Coaching, and it'll be a reflective practice uh, group. And so we hope you will take that into consideration when you're thinking about No Single Normal and how you uh, coach the members of our community. And Terry, where do you come into this? Oh, so many, so many threads. <laughs> I just love what your doctor said about taking patients from all walks of life or I don't know if it was you or your doctor saying taking uh, your doctor saying taking patients from all walks of life and because it keeps her skills sharp and it reminds me of exactly what the value is in diversifying and, <laughs> and why diversity is so important and the life affirming spaces you mentioned this is another thread i'm pulling and how a lot of our neurodivergent community members aren't in life affirming spaces or relationships and how we as coaches can empower them and support them through whatever it is that they need so this takes me to coaching for me. And I find so many differences 
with my ADHD experiences compared to my clients' ADHD experiences, that I stay curious about their secret sauce. Always questioning my clients' secret sauce and what that is and what we're looking for. Like, what is, what is their superpowers? <laughs> what are their strengths? And I always build on their identities and their self-confidence. And like you said, it's really about an individualized approach because this is pretty much what this whole episode has been about, right? That we're all so different in so many ways. And just because you know one doesn't mean you know us all. So really getting to know what makes your client my client so special. That's why I call my coaching practice, I call myself the NeuroSpicy Inclusion Coach because I am filled with, I am filled, me, myself, with so many different ad additives or different, um, I have so many different ingredients that make me who I am and so do my clients. So Gosh. yeah, yeah. Gosh, I just love the way that you wrapped that up. So you brought that full circle together. That was just so beautiful. Um, the 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 special ingredients to you know it kind of reminds me of the way my my Polish grandmother used to cook, which is never with a recipe. It's just always in the moment what what do you have on hand and what are the ingredients right that's what it is right i mean that's yeah. totally what it is there is no recipe to who we are indeed. to any of us indeed it's indeed. diversity yeah. i love diversity <laughs> <laughs> so i know we're as we're winding down there uh we always want uh to share a little bit about you know, where do we stand in all of this as neurodivergently coaching podcasters and community hosts? Yes, where do we stand? Well, I know who I wanna be on this journey. I wanna be your guide, a voice yielding from unyielding to fear and control my vision is to be the hope for our future disrupting 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 <laughs> unhealthy patterns healing isn't concealment it's the power to share openly through my joy and all of my challenges i foster community raise awareness and break silence I speak to inspire reflection, growth and connection to those who resonate with my story. I resonate. <laughs> Overall, though, my role here is as provocateur, invoking conversations that need to be had. I am an articulate truth teller, at least I hope you think I am. 
I am indeed a teller of stories that need to be told. And one thing I know for certain is that I am an outsider who belongs. My voice is absolutely necessary in this dialogue. Yes, and I wish all the neurodivergent and neurotypical, all the neurodiverse beings out there listening to take up as much space as possible. So, teaser for next episode, living and working in a neuronormative world. And I just want to remind everyone that we are going unedited. So if you heard my dogs barking, that is my dogs barking. <laughs> You're sure that was me, right? <laughs> if you heard a car driving past, that was definitely a car driving past. We are unmasked. Masked. <laughs> and that is a wrap on another insightful episode of Neurodivergently Coaching. Before we go, we have to give the quick reminder. We are coaches with real lived experience. Yeah, thanks for that, Terry. Absolutely. With that in mind, we want you to understand that the content in this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice, uh, for diagnosis or for treatment. And we would never want you to disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it based on anything that you've heard here. Thanks for joining us on this neurodivergent journey. And don't forget, like Deb just said, subscribe, like, and please share. And if you are a coach, connect with us at neurodivergently.com, the online community. That's neurodivergentlycoaching.com. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> and of course, we're on LinkedIn. Please follow us. So until next time, keep coaching neurodivergently.